friends. This is Dr. Michael Williams, and welcome to another episode of the Diversifying Path podcast. This podcast explores how investing in diversity can lead to a higher return of investment in pathology and laboratory medicine by learning from the knowledge and experiences of diverse voices in our field. My next guest is Dr. Michael Arnold. Dr. Arnold is the Medical Director of Anatomical Pathology at Children's Hospital Colorado and an Associate Professor of Pathology at the University of Colorado in Denver, Colorado. He received a Bachelor of Arts in Molecular Genetics from the University of Rochester and completed the Medical Scientist Training Program, or MSTP, at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center at Dallas, receiving his PhD in genetics and development for his work in the laboratory of Dr. Eric N. Olson. He completed residency training in anatomical pathology at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center at Dallas and the National Cancer Institute at the NIH. While at the National Cancer Institute, he completed a research fellowship in ultrastructural pathology and pediatric tumor pathology with Dr. Maria uh, Toskis. Following his research fellowship, Dr. Arnold continued at Nationwide Children's Hospital, where he completed a pediatric pathology fellowship and became a faculty member at The Ohio State University and practiced at Nationwide Children's Hospital as a staff pathologist while becoming Director of Strategic Pathology. He subsequently moved to Children's Hospital Colorado in 2019 to, to become the Medical Director of Anatomical Pathology and is also currently the Pathology Informaticist at Children's Hospital Colorado. Without further ado, here's Dr. Michael Arnold. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Diversifying Path Podcast. I'm here with my next guest, uh, Dr. Michael Arnold. So can you tell us uh, who you are, where you are from, and your pronouns? Hey, uh, I'm Michael Arnold. Uh, everybody calls me Mike. I'm a pediatric pathologist at Children's Hospital Colorado. I'm also the medical director of anatomic pathology there. And I grew up near Rochester, New York, did did an MD-PhD program at UT Southwestern in Dallas, did part of my residency in pathology there, did the rest of my residency at the NIH, did a fellowship in pediatric tumor pathology and ultrastructural pathology at the NIH, uh, then went on to do another fellowship in pediatric pathology at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and worked there for about seven years before I came out to Colorado in 2019. And my pronouns are he and him. All right. Man, that was like the quickest introduction. I loved it. And so um, how did you get into pathology? I got into the MD-PhD program because I was interested in research. Mm-hmm. And I, I worked in a lab that did muscle development and a lot of cardiac development. And I, I thought for a long time I'd be a cardiologist. And as a third-year medical student, my wife was a first-year resident. And we had a newborn. And... I was on my surgery rotation and I would disappear for a day and a half and then sleep for another half a day. And 
she was working nine to five and I was like, wait a second, let me think about this for a second. <laughs> right. And right. so, so, you know, see, seeing how that worked and then, you know, she taught me a lot about what pathology is all about. And I realized pretty quickly that they had pathologists have really good access to research material and specimens. And then I did my pediatric pathology elective rotation and I knew within a day that that's what I wanted to do. I mean, the the very one of the very first things I remember seeing was Dr. Dinesh Rikasia, who's a pediatric pathologist at Children's Medical Center Dallas, was showing a liver biopsy to us, and it was a patient who had algal syndrome, and that's a results in malformation of the bile ducts, and it mm-hmm. and the discussion quickly turned to notch signaling pathways that are involved in that disease, and I was like, okay, yeah, I, I get it, I'm here. <laughs> this is all you know, genetics and development. That's my bag. Sign me up. Oh, so yeah, I was I was hooked pretty quickly from there. I was gonna say that that's awesome, because I was at a, uh, I was in, I participated in a cap um, for medical students, and they were asking there were questions that um, range about being MD versus being MD PhD, and if like there's any difference applying to pathology in general, um, having one or both degrees. Do you have any comments or thoughts about that? I don't think there's a huge difference. I think if you have a, a an MD PhD you probably come to it with some you know, research interests that are specific to your background and, and relate to pathology. But I, I don't think it's a huge necessarily advantage um, to getting into a pathology residency because pathology, re- pathology residency is so intensely clinical. Mm-hmm. And, but there are programs out there that do like the physician scientist pathway if somebody does choose to do pathology and go that route if they are interested more in the research aspect. Yeah, there, there's definitely pathways in a lot of institutions to get into research to do years during residency of research and ultimately to transition into faculty positions that involve things like K-Award mentorship. Um, I, I went with a straight-up residency pathway, um, and, and I think a, a big reason for that was that I, I was in graduate school from... 2001 to 2006 and I'll tell you in that five-year period the priorities in government funding shifted a great deal after September 11th and when I first started as a graduate student there were a lot of graduating postdocs in that lab who were going to start their own labs at academic universities and around the time I graduated from my PhD most of them were going into, into into industry because it was so hard to get that grant funding. So I, I ended up choosing a, a much more clinical pathway um, and doing research by getting involved with collaborative groups like Children's Oncology Group. Well, since this is the Diversifying Path podcast and we're talking about diversity, uh, let's transition a bit into when you, if you personally see uh, medical students of color, do you try to encourage them to choose pathology yourself? Or um, what is your take on that? Absolutely. I think I think pathology faces a lot of hurdles in recruiting people, um, and particularly people of color. I, I think there's, there's some medical schools that really don't have good exposure to pathology. So I think it's difficult for some a subset of medical students to even really understand what we do. And even in places like where I was a medical student at UT Southwestern, you know, we had a really diverse class. 
and we had really good exposure to pathology. We had pathologists that were involved in teaching our small group sessions. You know, I, I met some of them early in medical school that I trained with in residency later. And even there, you know, it, it, part of the issue is that you have a, a large class of students that's a diverse group. Say, I think it was 200 some odd medical students, mm-hmm. but only five of them that graduate in a given year go into pathology. So when you have that kind of bottleneck, mm-hmm. it's really hard to keep that diversity into the group that's coming out on the other side. So I think it's really important that we recruit everybody we can, especially people of color, because it's just difficult to get enough people into pathology in the first place. And and so that's just a, an additional barrier to having a diversity, I think. Right, yeah. And, and previous guests have talked about the pipeline and going towards either college students or even high school and encouraging people to go into pathology in general. A lot of people I remember in my class went into primary care, some did surgery, anesthesia. And again, for me, pathology wasn't was my choice after doing the, I did a preliminary year of surgery and I decided like pathology was for me because I've had that interest going in. So yeah, there's multiple steps along the way that maybe we can find a way to improve or um, guide people towards that way if is of interest towards them. And on that topic, I oh, go ahead if you have something to say. I was going to say, you know, I think there's another aspect to it as well, is mm-hmm. that pathology is not as large a field as surgery and other other places that you mentioned. So it's it's a little harder for people to identify mentors in those fields that they relate to that have similar backgrounds. So I think that's another challenge, and I think that's why it's really important mm-hmm. to really highlight people in pathology that are of a diverse background so that medical students and residents can identify those people and say, oh, yeah, I want to work with that person. Right, right. I mean, it is hard. And it, it's interesting, too, because I remember there was also those the residents like radiology or ophthalmology, dermatology. I forgot there was an acronym for them. They were all super competitive, but a lot of people I remember in, in medical school liked them because of the subject, but also because of the fact that um, the lifestyle, I guess, brought itself to being amenable for uh, for those people interested in it, I was surprised that pathology wasn't one of them because people because we didn't have those as core rotations; those were electives. And unfortunately, like our introduction to pathology in general is when we do it the first two years, but we see it more as like board studying and then like step one studying, and then that's it. Like we don't really pay attention mm-hmm. or focus on it anymore, unfortunately. Um, so I was I I, don't know, I still think about back about that. We had a lecture about just those specialties and just wondering like thinking back about it in retrospect like wow i wonder if people see more pathology would that be a more competitive like specialty in general and then also you know how do we guide people of color to know like this this exists for them um and then it's definitely a great career pathway if they choose to go that path yeah yeah i, mean, I think mm-hmm. i think that education there's so there's so many there's so many barriers to that type of education for medical students and mostly around how curriculums are structured. Yeah. And I think as curriculums have moved towards organ system-based teaching, it's even harder because histology is diluted out, microscopes you know, disappear, whole slide images come in, you get a lot mm-hmm. less one-on-one time with pathologists in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of barriers to getting medical students to understand mm-hmm. what we do 
and what our lifestyle is like. Absolutely. For you, like, what what is your um, what is your approach at the scope in terms of when you're teaching medical students, residents, or fellows? Like, if you had a student in front of you, how do you encourage them to say, like, this is what we do? Like, it's pretty interesting, and like, show the enthusiasm of like why you chose it. Yeah. So I, whenever I'm teaching, I'm always thinking about making the experience of conveying the information about that case as similar to the experience of signing it out as I can. So I always, I always try and get them to think about, you know, what do we see? How do we describe this? What are the words we use to tell another pathologist what we see on the slide? Because mm-hmm. that's how we're going to write our report, right? And then that helps us build a differential. So if we see a particular pattern in a tumor, then we know, okay, these are the things we've got to think about. Now, in pediatric pathology, a huge piece of thinking about tumors, for example, is thinking about the patient's age and where the tumor is located. Mm -hmm. You know, the differential diagnosis for a diaphyseal bone tumor in the upper arm of a teenager is much different than an adrenal mass in a two-year-old, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like you can, you'd almost you almost don't even need to see the slide to know what your top differential is on those two things. So we also look at the chart. We look at imaging. I always like to look at imaging on soft tissue lesions um, and really walk the, the learners through, okay, so we think it could be this based on the imaging. The slide looks like it's good for that. What stains do we need to do? What things do we need to exclude? And then what tests do we need to do to nail that diagnosis down? What immunostains? What molecular and then also a really key component of signing out a case is what else do I need to do to tell the clinician and the patient mm-hmm. important prognostic information. If, if I'm going to diagnose a neuroblastoma, I sure need to do NMIC amplification because that's a hugely important prognostic marker. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the approach I take is just to walk somebody through beginning to end what is this? How did this patient present? What did radiology see? What did the clinician see? What do we see on the slide? How are we going to tease out our differential diagnosis? And once we know what it is, what else do we have to do that's going to help that patient get the right treatment? That's pretty cool to show that we just don't look in the microscope, that there are other factors, especially soft tissue um, and bone tumors, that's like you have to look at other stuff besides just the scope to come up to with a diagnosis that helps the patient and the, the clinical team. So I'm going to pivot a bit, and I wanted to talk about allyship. What's your um, definition of what allyship is uh, towards people of color and also those in in general who are, like, not their, I guess, non-hetero, um, the hetero cis yeah. white male? Yeah, so... I'm obviously the hetero cis white male, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's yeah you know, it's it's very important to mm-hmm. to have everyone you know I think to me this is kind of like you know this is kind of a piece of an aspect of the American dream if you will everybody should have the opportunity to have the cool job that I have right mm-hmm. so I want to make sure that that everybody of different backgrounds can have the opportunity to come into my field and have the cool job that I have so. I, I think, and, and really, before social media, these were really difficult conversations to have because it's really tough in an interview to start digging into questions about someone's sexual orientation, right? Because most people in an interview, you'd meet them for a, a handful of minutes, and that was the only interaction you really had with them. But now on social media, 
you know, people, you get to know people on a much deeper level, very different level than you would if you only had read their CV and met Uh them for 20 minutes in person. So I think it's a lot, in in some ways, it's a lot easier to kind of know who people are and to, you know, lift up their voice and give them opportunities. And, and I think that's made a huge impact. I I think it really has to do with just making sure that everyone has an opportunity Uh to get in the door, to get into the specialty and to thrive in the, in the specialty. So Uh I, I think it's about highlighting, you know, I mentioned earlier that it's tough sometimes for medical students to see themselves in a given field if they don't see people they relate to. Okay. And so I think, I think there's aspects of it that range from, you know, lifting up people of different backgrounds in my field uh-huh. to not only support them and support their growth, but also to highlight for people that are considering the field, hey, you can succeed, you can thrive in this field, look at the great work this person's doing, look at the great work that person's doing. Mm-hmm. I think all of those are really important aspects for promoting diversity and pathology. And you discussed earlier about the conversations about, like, let's say racism and also, like, stereotypes that in medicine, why do you feel, do you, why do you feel like it was such a hard discussion to have in general? Like, and when you said in, like, discussions, are you talking about, like, amongst peers, like, with interviewees, in medicine at home like what was that um in terms of that space you were talking about well i i think i think what i was getting at is you know we're talking about allyship people that are non you know that that aren't the cisgender heterosexuals right i mean Mm -hmm. that that's that's a difficult if you're if your interaction when you're hiring a resident or hiring a a trainee, if your interaction with them is really limited to their CV mm-hmm. and you don't get a chance to know who they are outside of that interview room, that's really difficult to figure out who you know, who people are, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think having social media, I think, has made it easier to get to know people on a, a much different level than you would if your only interaction with them was during an interview. Right. Okay. And then what about, like, outside the interview realm? Like, say, for example, with colleagues or friends. Did you – were those conversations that were ever brought up? Or were they something oh, I, I think it's – I think it's gotten incredibly easy mm-hmm. to have the conversations in the department about having, you know, diverse residency classes, diverse uh, – medical laboratory staff, mm-hmm. diverse faculty. I think those conversations are incredibly easy and I think they're very widely well received. I mean, I, I think that's, in you know, my experience is that that topic is actively raised mm-hmm. in discussions about um, recruitments for, you know, different positions for medical students, for residents. And, and I'll, I'll tell you that I think this is another area where the pandemic has actually made a bit of a positive impact because we've transitioned to virtual interviews because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. can't travel. And I, I think in a lot of ways that's limited, that's, that's leveled the playing field considerably, I think, because mm-hmm. people that didn't have the resources to go make 25 flights across the country and see a lot of programs, you know, they, they had to limit their, op, their opportunities 
And now I think even when we get back to travel, it's very clear to me that my department is very likely to keep an option for virtual only interviews that are going to get the same weight as people that come to campus. So I think that's that's opened the door to to keeping a very level playing field for you know people's economic background as well. Mm-hmm. So and, and I think leadership is very focused on this. I think individuals in the department raise this actively to leadership in, in meetings that I've been a part of. So I mm-hmm. I think this has definitely gotten much greater focus in the last several years. And I think the pandemic is actually because of the virtual tools that we've developed and the comfort that we all I mean we're recording this over the internet right now. You yeah, know, the the yeah. comfort level that everyone has with this type of interaction is so different that it's made a lot of that. It's, it's made that type of interview much more palatable. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think five years ago, nobody would have even thought to offer a virtual interview option. What, I mean, they, they would have been like, why? <laughs> right. Right. No, they wouldn't, I don't no. think they would have thought twice about it. I completely agree. I remember when I was applying um, and I and I had the I was in residency like prelim, and wasn't wasn't using the student loans in order to like pay all that stuff up, and so I remember I was like thinking like I could apply to more programs and see cast a wider net regardless of what happens because I was working in residency uh, compared to what like as a medical student where I was like I have to limit where I go so I completely agree with the virtual aspect and having more people see where they can apply and make taking that chance because it'll just cost them a day for an interview and give them a chance to see where they might end up. So I agree. Ask away. Okay. So the last two questions that I have for you would be, um, and I think you talked about it earlier, what are ways that you think we can diversify in pathology? Yeah, I, I really think that pathology, you know, if, if you look at the field, you look at the cohort of people that are 10 to 15 years older than me, they look considerably different than the people that are 10 years younger than me that are coming into the field. So Mm -hmm. I think medicine and pathology in general have made a lot of progress in that, in that regard. But I I think we need to keep that up. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the way to do it is to, is to lift up people that are role models. Um, So when I was in Ohio state, I worked with, Quinn Capers, who's you know a brilliant cardiologist, really active on social media, and I'm I'm really pleased that he's now a dean at UT Southwestern, mm-hmm. because having having him like having him at the top of the pyramid, I think really, I think that really sends a really positive signal to people that hey, this is an inclusive environment. Mm-hmm. Come here, work with Dr. Quinn. You know, I I think that's the type of thing that we need. We need we need leaders. We need to do, help those leaders develop. And we need to help those leaders uh, identify opportunities to become, mm-hmm. you know, chairs and deans and things of that nature. Because that's what's going to make medical students who are looking around to say, "Oh yeah," because I'm, I'm sure just by sheer numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, pathology is a smaller field. There's there's fewer people at the top to begin with, right? So compared to like surgery or family medicine, there's fewer chairs of departments and things like that. So I think we need to do everything we can to make sure that leadership in pathology is as diverse as the medical students and residents that we hope to recruit into our subspecialties. Nice. Yes. Um, And then finally, uh, what are ways listeners can follow you on social media to see how your career progresses? 
So I'm primarily on Twitter at marnold underscore peedpath. Uh, I dabble in YouTube and put all of that on Twitter at some point. Um, I haven't done a whole lot with it lately. Mm-hmm. That's been the one downside of the pandemic for me is that I I got started on doing some grossing videos, you know, editing down grossing of a specimen to about 90 seconds. And I did a small number of those. And then mm-hmm. when the pandemic hit, it was a little harder to be in the laboratory with a lot of people crowded around you holding the specimens. So I kind of backed off on that. But I, I think the other thing that people want to check out is pathelective.com. So mm-hmm. pathelective. I've, I've been working with Eileen McKay on the pediatric pathology module there. And I think pediatric pathology is definitely one of the most difficult areas in pathology to get exposure to. And I think a lot of residents don't figure out that they're interested in it until they've already <laughs> applied to something else because they don't get exposure to it until their third year residents, if they get exposure to it at all. So check that out. Mm-hmm. And of course, check out PathPod. I think PathPod's been a a fantastic place for people to talk to each other and get to know each other and for listeners to learn more about who people are. Yeah. And for um, new listeners or people who are non-pathology, PathPod is a podcast. So it's PathPod podcasts um, to listen to. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just search up the PathPod podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. Do <laughs> um, you have any final words for the audience before we go? Well, I'm I'm so glad you invited me to talk with you. I'm really flattered to be to be invited. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Arnold. Appreciate it. Until next time. Hi again, friends. Well, this is it for today's episode. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to the Diversified Math Podcast. Hope you enjoy the episode and I hope to see you soon.